0: I'm Coulter DeVries with RanchInvestor.com. We give you the tools to build and manage wealth through ranch ownership.
1: I'm Andy Ron, accredited rural appraiser and creator of Montana LandSource, the ultimate resource for the Montana land market. Montana LandSource is the only place where you can find all large acreage listings on the market in Montana today, as well as recent sales. We provide maps, market statistics and analysis, and Montana land news and events. Find us at mtlandsource.com.
2: Hi, I'm Denver Gilbert, licensed broker and owner of Clark & Associates Land Brokers. We've been helping buyers and sellers of farm and ranch properties in six states since 2005. We've been averaging a little over $100 million in ranch real estate sales annually. I right, have now 35, I right, have now 35, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, and are now 75.
0: All right, <laughs> welcome. The Ranch Investor Podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com, L-A-N-D-T-R-U-S-T.com, forward slash ranch investor to see how much you might add to your bottom line. And what you just heard for the intro was the legendary Jake Jacobs with Premier Land Company. He's also an auctioneer. Uh, how many years have you been at it, Jake?
2: I uh, started in 1983, so... 1983, 38 years as an auctioneer, 38 all in Montana. No, I've actually sold in 25 different states over the years. So coast to coast and into Canada. Any, any land sales with that? Uh, Just several, Uh, not very many. That's one thing we never got into. I pretty much specialize in purebred livestock sales. So I've sold all breeds of cattle all across the United States from Georgia to Washington and California to New York and Texas to Canada. So
0: well, let's uh, let's talk about brokerage. How long have you been in in the land business?
2: Well, I've been in the land business about thirty six years, uh, I believe it would be. So, been at it a long time. Started in the eighties when uh, things were kind of tough, and uh, so I've seen it all. I've seen the swings mm-hmm. one way, I've seen them the other way, and more than once.
0: The eighties farm crisis, and we're going to get into that because I wanted you've seen you've seen the cycles, and uh, I wanted to pick your brain on that a little later on. We also need an introduction from Andy, a market update. Um, but then after that, Jake, if you don't mind, can you give us your your professional background, where you started, where you grew up, and, and how you got to our podcast studio today? But Andy, let's hear yeah. what, what craziness you have
1: to tell us about. Well, first I want to say it's particularly an honor for me to be in here with Jake. Jake is one of the... L- original, longest, and, and most enthusiastic supporters of Montana Land Source, He's been with us from the beginning and just saw the, the value from the beginning, so really appreciate uh, his, his um, being part of it. It's been great. Uh, yeah, the land market, I did bring some stats in today. I've been talking about this. We're working on a new website where we are going to provide live market stats, which is something no one's ever done before, so we're pretty excited about that. But we've just been in a crazy, really two-year cycle. I, I would argue, you know, 2020, 2021 is part of the same cycle. But we have, as of today, 57% more sales this year than last year, than 2020. <laughs> uh, and another 60% since, 2000, since 2019. So the volume, the, the, I think the big story is volume, even, even more so than values, I would argue. Values are up as well but the volume is just just remarkable. Uh, we only have, we're down 35% in terms of new listings uh, on the market. So it just that highlights the discrepancy between supply and demand, very undersupplied and very high demand. Prices are up uh, 10% since 2020, but 33% since 2019, median sale prices for, for land in our market. So But uh, I just published the Montana land report for this week, and uh, we are starting to see uh, the volume increase. Um, For the first time all year, we're seeing more properties into the market than leaving, but that's only been within this month. So all year long, we've had more properties leaving the market than coming on the market, but we're starting to see uh, the supply respond. We're seeing it with
0: speculative pricing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) I mean... uh what 2200 bucks an acre for Matt and roger's going to get into why that doesn't even matter 2200 bucks an acre we're not looking at dollars per acre but mountain pasture fully encumbered with a conservation easement the the speculators are here i mean they've responded to this this drastic uptick in prices and
1: volume here's one more i'll throw out there in two this, this day last year uh 2020 The average days on market for properties that were actively listed. So this is how long on – I'm sorry, median. The median number for how long active listings have been on the market was 500 days. Uh, Today it's 260. So stuff's stuff's flying off the shelves. Cut it in half. Yep, yep. Well, Roger,
0: take it away. Give us your background and then allow me to uh – Put you under the spotlight with some some interrogation questions.
2: Well, I grew up in uh, the great state of North Dakota. I call it the homeland over there. And I went to North Dakota State University, graduated from there in 75, was fortunate enough to get a job with the American Angus Association in 1977 as a regional manager covering North Dakota, uh, Montana, and Wyoming. Did that for four years and then moved on to the Angus Journal for two years where I pretty much traveled all of Western America and Western Canada. And then in 1983, hung my shingle out as an auctioneer and uh, been very fortunate in that business, uh, doing upwards of 100 to 110 sales a year um, up until the last few years when I've kind of backed off a little to still do about 80 sales a year across the country. I was gonna say it backed off. I can't get you on the phone. Because you're you're, you're, you're always <laughs> on an airplane yeah. didn't do a sale. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I answer my phone when Andy calls and I'll just it'll be sitting on the auction block and I'll just answer it and I'll pick it up. That way he knows I'm at a sale and I'm auctioneering. <laughs> and he knows he can hang up and
1: call later. He'll but, answer in an auction cadence. Hello Andy, <laughs> Aaron, how, how exactly. are you doing today? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. And uh but then got in the real estate business uh, just a few years later. And uh, with Pat Pat Land Company, which then became Premier Intermountain Properties, and then Brian and I started a new company, uh, rebranded everything, and and uh, Premier Land Company now. And so been at it a long time, and um, got a great staff in our office, and just really proud of them doing a great job across the state of Montana.
0: So you started in the the farm crisis. I mean, 1984 was was that the. The big fallout i believe eighty four I mean farm suicide started happening, and you started in the toughest of times, kind of like my banking career started right after two thousand and eight and uh Tell me about what you think what's happening today. I mean, we have these stats from Andy, and last year, in the middle of it, you can 't see the the forest for the trees. I thought it was crazy, and i you know and now, looking back on twenty twenty <laughs> It's not that crazy compared to where we're at in 2021. This, is, this level of craziness just keeps going up. Can you give me your experience on um, what you see happening and
2: where we're going? Well, uh, it's going to be pretty hard to predict where we're going, but uh, I, this thing really fooled me. When the country got shut down due to COVID, I made the comment to Brian, and that was early in 2020. Um, I says, we may never sell another property this year this thing might be over because I remember in the 80s when it was like that during the farm crisis and and, uh, the banks had so much acquired property, you couldn't hardly, the phone never rang. You didn't, you know, there was no demand. And with everything shutting down, I expected the opposite of what happened. And it's just taken off. Um, I was 180% wrong, but uh, it's been fun to be part of the the drive that's happened since then because we've sold a lot of properties. We've sold them higher than we ever expected, um, and uh, it continues to go up. I don't think we've seen the top of this at all.
0: Hmm. Yeah, Boy, I, that, it, that makes me think the bigger they are, the harder they fall. If we haven't seen the top of it yet, and as I mentioned earlier, Andy, we— the speculators have arrived and there's always been a certain amount of, um, people trying to stretch that market 40% higher than, than us brokers would like to see them trying to stretch it. Um, but now, now they, they have another leg to stand on when, when Jake and I come in and say, we believe your place is worth X amount. And then they tick on another 50% to that. It's hard to fight that. It's hard to argue with it because we, there's, just so much unsurety out there as to what the top is. What and is that site value? Because, Jake, tell me about the difference between you talked about dollars per acre and how that's I mean, throw it out the window at this point. It
2: really is. I mean, over the years, there's been a number of times where I, I've not taken a listing because I thought it was too high
1: on a price per acre basis, on right? On a
2: price per acre basis, just totally priced out of the market right now. Uh, I think price per acre has went out the window on a lot of properties. It's, like you said, site value, also, you know, and the recreation potential. It's what that property can provide. Um, If you do a broker price opinion on a property that's, you know, somewhat isolated with forest service access with a a lot of additional acreage for recreation, for hunting, fishing, hiking, horseback riding, whatever it may be, whatever the, the buyer's, Desire is, um, it's worth as much, or on a per acre basis, it's probably worth a lot more than a much bigger ranch with the same potential on private land. But his opportunity is expanded so much because of the private access to some public land, or not private, his private access, but the fact that that public land isn't as accessible. Uh, to the public so he's his property is basically expanded so we're price we're going to price that on what it provides and what opportunity it provides rather than on a per acre basis
1: you know clark wheeler and i used to talk about this uh norman c wheeler associates said it was news to me you know 50 years ago uh price per acre was a was a revolution that no one used to talk about value in price per acre. it was carrying capacity mm-hmm. ranches in montana how many how many animals would it run no one used uh, dollars per acre and that was that was a revolution in the in the market and leading up to two thousand and eight we were talking about getting away from dollars per acre and site value. I think maybe you know being corrected yeah, in the market uh, brought us back to that a little bit but yeah, especially as the recreational and aesthetic and subjective factors become more significant in the market it's pretty hard to use dollars per acre as a as a universal metric so so career advice, Jake, a young guy
0: like me who is, you know, I'm a former banker, former rancher. I'm, I value cash flow analysis, and, and today I, I value comp analysis and, and cap rates. Does my career need to adjust to this what the hell ever is going on? Am I a, am I a dying breed if I look at places on a dollar per animal unit? Because I still do, and I still look at uh, a comp basis for dollar per acre. And I, I certainly look at cap rates and cash flow. But am I am I uh, obsolete or growing, growing obsolete? I, I don't think you're obsolete. <laughs> you still
2: have to look at that for certain buyers, buyers that have to be financed. But there's so many in the market right now that they're not worried about being financed. And it seems like the bigger the property, the higher the price, the less likely there's going to be an appraisal or any financing,
1: right? Cash buyers, yep. And I think it's a highest and best use issue, you know. And this, uh, it's a challenge in the Montana land market because, uh, of course, we like to talk about averages and and sort of uh, ten thousand foot view on things, but it, uh, it really comes down to individual properties, individual markets, you know. And true ag properties, I think still perhaps dollars per acre hold up and it's not a it's not a bad analysis but certainly the more you get into like jake mentioned you know aesthetic or recreational features it's a it's a shift in highest and best use and then recreational properties uh it's those amenities that drive value not you know not the production uh on a per acre basis or whatnot so and that's I think the, the career advice is uh, don't hold on to any one way of doing things. Every, every property is different. Every buyer is different. You different. Know, it's a complex mix. We're, we're all playing in.
2: That's right. And one of the best pieces of advice I could ever give to a young guy getting in this business or any business is be willing to change. Yeah. Because change is coming faster now than we've ever seen in my lifetime, and that's a long time. But I've fought change a time or two over the years, and I've been wrong every single time
0: (laughs) how do you how do you deal with that when um i'm sure you've experienced the stones have been cast at you you dirty ranch broker you're bringing in these california buyers you're the catalyst creating this market it's it's not it's not the good old boy the the local family farmer anymore and that's because of you jake um you know the stones are being cast at you because of the immense change that's happening how do you um, address that? when
2: Well, it's going to happen with or without me is the way I look at it. Um, I'm just a facilitator at this point. Uh, they're coming, and it's we're not going to change that. And that's one change we're seeing that we can't fight. Um, obviously, I don't like the fact that opportunity for young people is not there like it used to be. If you're not born into the ranch or if you don't have a relative that you can work with and work into a ranch, it makes it very difficult. But it's the environment we're in, so I can't change that. Um, I'm here to assist the people that, that want to sell, and uh, we're doing a pretty good job of it, I think.
1: Well, I remember having this conversation early on with with Montana Land Source because Montana Land Source was a disruptive product a disruptive technology in the marketplace. And I remember having this conversation about with you in the early days and how some brokers were embracing it and some weren't, the, the change it represented and the new amount of information. And I don't know if you know this story, Jake. I don't know if I told you this, but the, the very first broker I took Montana Land Source to was Tim Murphy from Hall and Hall out of out of Bozeman. Because I was working close with closely with him at the time and knew he would, would get it. And he I sat down with him and he loved it and he said to me, You gotta take this to the Premier Boys. They're, they're going to just love this. And I knew you guys. I'd worked with you guys through appraisal and stuff, but I, I, I puzzled a little bit with why he, why he pointed you guys out specifically. But then I came to Billings and sat down with you, and you guys just got it right away, and yeah, it was it's, neat.
2: Yeah, I, I, I embraced it from the start. I could see the potential, and, and I think you've brought a great service to this industry. It's been fun to support you and, and use the information that you've provided. We're on it all the time. We well, and you,
1: and you were part of uh, the creation of the, the land report I did every week, because if you remember early on, uh, you know, there was no way to track changes unless you had the, it, at that time it was just a map, mapped mm. properties, and unless you had that thing memorized, it could be hard to tell if something was coming or going. So how do we, how do we alert people to change? And you sparked that idea of, oh, I think at the time, I think I started with a weekly spreadsheet that I just sent out, spreadsheet, and that turned into the the Montana Land Report.
2: Yeah, the map's been so helpful to be able to get on there and see sold properties, to see under contract contingent properties and what's on the market, what's available, what's coming on. Yeah. Um, it's been fun.
1: Well, and I think part of the change overall that was what we're talking about, like in the old days with brokerage, you know, you had to get into the pickup truck with the broker and get driven out to the ranch to look at it like a, a much more control over the information. I think that was, that was just the way it worked, but, uh, with the internet and whatnot, that's, that's all changed. You know, there's, I've never seen the research for land specifically, but I know research, uh, real estate in general, you know, housing and whatnot. Brokers today, I've seen number, or uh, sorry, buyers today, you know, they want to do like, you know, 70% of the research, themselves before they ever talk to a broker. A lot of them. I mean, some of them want to show up and, and be taken care of from start to finish. But a lot of people want to do their own research. So that whole thing has changed. Changed the market forever.
0: Well, Jake's the perfect guy for me to ask this question to. Uh, he is in the business of price discovery. He's made a career on. You're you're not a market maker. Uh, you're in ranch brokerage. You're a facilitator um, with auctioneering. Um, would you would you call that more of a clearing service or uh I don't I don't know if you'd call it a market maker, but certainly price discovery. So Roger, how do you feel about Montana and Wyoming being non-disclosure states? That's very prohibitive
2: to the efficient market
0: hypothesis.
2: Well, it sure is. It makes it difficult, but uh to value a property if we're using the per acre basis, if we're but. If we're using site value, if we're using recreation, that's all selling emotion. And, you know, obviously you're going to put a different value on it than I am probably. If you're not an elk hunter, you're not going to get revved up about elk hunting. But as a broker, you need to know how much that can add, whether if you've got a buyer or a seller that has elk hunting, has quality elk hunting and, and the numbers, there's all kinds of research you can do. You can go to Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and look at their annual aerial survey and see elk numbers in that area. For instance, in the Castle Mountains, I was looking at that yesterday for the last six years on the number of elk. Their goal is 600 elk in that hunting district, 452. They've been anywhere from 1150 to 1700 the last eight years, and that's wow. they say they count maybe 80%. So there's more numbers than that, but th- there's other ways to value property and i like the fact that you don't have to disclose the price i i I think that's something i I don't want to see a change
0: it 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 certainly makes us more necessary as brokers because we (laughs) we are controllers of information still
1: yeah well and i like to say you know it works well when people do share where it needs to be shared, and I'm talking about brokers and appraisers in the industry. So the way it's set up now, I mean, it protects privacy if a if a buyer and seller, you know, doesn't want it, public information. But it does get frustrating when I mean, I've done appraisals for people, and then they sell their property, and I come to them at, asking for information. They won't give me their sale price when I did an appraisal for them uh, five years prior, where others shared sale prices. So there there is, there does need to be some awareness that. Uh, with discretion shared with the people that need it to make the market function, and but so, but it's a kind of a fine line. It's kind of a narrow walk.
0: Well, it, it, it r- is right to privacy. Yeah, yeah. Go but on, I,
2: Jake. But I think it's our responsibility as as brokers to, if we can share some of that information with Andy when he needs to do an appraisal or another appraiser that calls, we're always happy to share the information if it's okay with the seller. And most sellers we work with. Do not have a problem with that, so we do share a lot of information with appraisers mm-hmm. and bankers.
0: Yeah, well, now I know I have uh, some opposition, Andy, when it comes to my <laughs> my my, my <laughs> position on Montana and Wyoming being non-disclosure states, because a I, I, ranch brokerage or ranch sales is a it's a very cumbersome market. It's high yeah. transaction costs. Not a lot of sellers, not a lot of buyers, low information. I mean, it's it's not an efficient market like wheat, like right. commodity wheat.
1: Well, I will say, and I think I wrote a blog post about this a couple of years ago, because we saw a rise in, uh, well, non-disclosure agreements that brokers actually are required mm-hmm. to sign by some sellers and some buyers. So we saw that leading up to 2008, it seems like when the market is hot and when, well, and one thing I've heard about this market, obviously, you know, there's a lot of wealth participating in the market you have to be wealthy at this right. point. And that a lot of those guys, what I've heard said is they, they feel like they have a target on their back or they're concerned about that. So the concerns about privacy and whatnot are higher as high as they have ever been maybe. But so here's my thing though, if too much of that goes on, uh, too much non-disclosure and not not sharing where there needs to be for the market to function for appraisers to do their jobs for brokers to do their jobs i think that does lead you know potentially politically down the line for people to say enough of this we're going to do disclosure so I, I try to tell people you know the system works now but if if we push it too far and there's not not sharing where there needs to be at some point you know it comes up almost every we have every other year legislature in this state and i don't think it came up last year but almost every year some form of uh reversing that non-disclosure comes up so um it could we you know people could lose that privacy if it's essentially i guess i don't know if abused is the right word but if it's not respected and used in the right way that that in my mind is what might lead to it going away uh, absolutely and one second andy um, i
0: want to take a minute to have a message from our friends at land trust
1: did you know consumer demand for outdoor recreation is an over 17 billion dollar marketplace Savvy investors do, and they're using a secret weapon to access the demand. It's called Land Trust. Land Trust. The Recreational Access Network connects ranchers, farmers, and ranch investors with outdoor enthusiasts seeking private land access. This online marketplace makes it easy and safe to gain year-round income from hunting, fishing, photography, and more. You don't even have to be there. Be the wiser investor with a new secret weapon. Visit LandTrust.com slash Investor to learn more. That's LandTrust.com slash RanchInvestor.
0: We've talked about change. And when I was in college, my senior um, finance thesis was on agricultural land values. I did a regression analysis. What drove land values? And that data was largely from Purdue, Iowa State. So naturally, you'd expect that the covariance correlation, the R squared, the main drivers were commodities. That's going to drive the value of the land. Then it was... Interest rates, government programs, um, proximity to town, uh, those were all big drivers of value. We're, things are changing here, and, Roger, we were talking earlier. What And, Andy, you need to start tracking this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we need to start seeing some statistical analysis because we have new, this new buyer, this new cash-wealthy buyer. Roger, what do you see for maybe motivations or explaining variables, why people are buying um, I mean, is it a correlation to Bitcoin, gold, M2 money supply, the stock market? What what are the covariance correlations? What are the driving reasons?
2: Well, I can't speak to Bitcoin because that's one change. That's one change that I haven't grasped yet. And it's maybe one that I'm I'm fighting a little bit and probably shouldn't be. Get in now, Roger. I'm probably going to be in dead. Now. I'm probably going to be dead wrong again. I'm, uh, let us know as soon as you sell a ranch via Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, that'll be a that'll uh, be a um, commodity prices. I think for the wealthy buyer are almost irrelevant in this market we see right now. Um, obviously, most of them like to see some cash flow, but they're spending disposable income. And if the ranch or the farm can at least maintain without eating into any additional cash...
1: Can wash its own face. Yep.
2: Then yeah. they're happy with that. And a large percentage of these buyers, I think the best thing they can do if they buy one of these ranches, rather than try and operate it themselves find a good neighbor that does a good job ranching, sell the grass to that neighbor, allow him so many animal units so you know that it's taken care of, not abused, and he'll have a lot more, a lot less stress in his life and uh, be happy with the result at the end.
1: How many, though, want to play a rancher, you know, want, have that fantasy, have that... You, do we
2: still see quite a bit of that? I We do see quite a bit of it, but I think we see less than we used in the, the yeah. a, a lower percentage than we saw in the past. Yeah, I'd agree with I that. I really do.
0: There's a recent article out uh, interviewing Jim Taylor of Holland Hall, and he talks about people were locked up at home during COVID looking at ranch porn. <laughs> 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 Did you guys read that article? Uh... And uh, the impression I got is that today's cash buyer almost sees ranching operations as a burden, that it's, that it's a beast of burden more than an opportunity and a attribute, a positive attribute of the ranch.
1: Well, there's been a lot of work. I, we actually did some work with MSU, uh, and uh, Holland Hall participated. Uh, it, was, it was Joel Ledbetter, not, not uh, Jim. But, and it was uh, the demographic shift to millennials, and millennials more experience-based, you know the the Boomer generation was prime for in some ways for ranch ownership, just the the kingdom and castle, and you know, uh, particularly a, a man you know that's done well in his career or what whatnot, uh, amassed some wealth. You know the mm-hmm. idea of buying a Montana ranch, just you know, and John the John Wayne generation, right? Right. But millennials, they want experiences, they want to travel, they want to do you know. So there was this, there was there has been concern about, geez, isn't, who's going to buy ranches? Uh, I think that's largely, well, clearly the market we're in now, even though we're, even though the buyer set, you know, is, is a younger generation, still clearly people are interested in buying ranches, but to this topic, you know, running it themselves versus understanding that they don't, you know, they're not going to be on tractors or, or pushing cows or whatnot. I think there is, you know, that this next generation has less fantasy built into that maybe, or, you know.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think they want to come out and experience the recreation. They yeah. want the fishing, they want the hunting, they want the views and the privacy, but they don't want to manage the physical labor of the ranch. Uh, they just soon, somebody else took care of that, and, uh, and we're free to do, enjoy what they have when they come, not be stressed out about finances stressed out about labor problems which is one of the most difficult things to manage in farm and ranch right now is labor supply and uh, so they they just want to come and enjoy
0: so what do you Roger uh, personal Jake personal question your kids grew up playing uh, playing class B sports very community driven Um, I know your your family's very in touch with the local community and what do you see changing um, your kids? What does Montana
2: look like in the future? Well, we've seen a lot of change as far as how kids recreate. How kids, uh, you know, ours. Well, we played; they played sports during the year. Went to a couple camps in the summer. These poor kids now—they're <laughs> playing. They're they're year round into some kind of sport, and so there's lots of opportunities that way. Um, you know, I've got one daughter playing softball every weekend, last weekend in Rapid City, the weekend before in Gillette. The other daughter was in Glendive playing basketball. Hudson, he's playing golf somewhere or on a football travel team. So that's just one family. Good thing
1: you got a plane. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so Do you just airdrop them, Do you just buzz around and airdrop man, them
2: where you need them. I just I try and follow one at a time. So um uh, but uh you know there's a lot of change but uh there's a lot of opportunity for kids to uh have so much experience although it kind of it looks to me like you can almost wear them out with a little too much.
0: I think that's one thing that gets over-missed with gentrification. Uh the yokels and you're from the American Siberia, North Dakota, <laughs> so so you know about how strong the feelings are around a local community, and when gentrification happens, it's it feels like a forced change upon them. But I think people overlook the opportunities that come with with uh, gentrification. Like me growing up in Roberts, Bob, Montana, um, in the '80s or '70s, I would have had no access to people of significance wealth, significant wealth. I want to be able to call up guys who are worth $100 million and say, hey, what do you do with cash right now? Because I don't know of anything good to buy. Everything's inflated. This gentrification has brought in diversity, which is tough to handle at times, but it, it's brought in a lot of opportunity, and I think that's quite often overlooked by
2: the yokels. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Again, it's change, and, and you got to embrace it. you got to be part of it. You know, take advantage of it. Um, don't be afraid of it. So, you know, as your kids get involved, and, and you know, we've got to continue to teach them the values that we have for all these years as far as community, as far as work ethic, as far as faith, but yet be... Embrace change and charge on it. And, uh, you know, if your kids have work ethic, if they have honesty and integrity, they've got the world by the tail.
1: Well, and, and back to land and land management, you know, it is frustrating for us that grew up here to see the era, perhaps, of the owner-operator kind of, kind of going away because the land ownership going to more and more wealthy people. But like we just talked about, those guys aren't going to manage their own place. And so there's opportunity there. And our, our last podcast uh, talked about with this. We had the MSU with their new ranch management program. So you know our local university, Land Grant University, has a program for training ranch managers, which is going to be an increased need here. So opportunity for kids to to have work uh, on the ranch. And it's you know it's funny. I've seen two different sides of that. You know the the kid that's running the family place and trying to keep that sucker going along. And uh, but then I've seen. Uh, guys with pretty dang good jobs running ranches with four hundred one ks and benefits and, and mm-hmm. vacation time and you know um, yes
2: it's not like it used to be yeah you know, it's pretty hard to get somebody to do a seven day a week deal right. twelve hours a day anymore <laughs> right, uh, right you've got to you've got to offer time off you've got to offer. Some benefits.
1: Yeah, but there are opportunities in the land management. And uh, and you know, we've talked endlessly on, on this podcast about all the different uh, things going on with land. It's not just uh, crops and cattle. You know, there's carbon markets developing and recreational markets developing and, and a lot more needed in management and resource management and allocation. So there are opportunities. How do you navigate that
0: conversation and that relationship, Jake, when you have a an absentee out-of-state buyer, enter a local community, I mean, your your service, you've done your job, you've brokered the deal, how do you also, do you, I mean, is it even necessary of us in our position to say, you know, I can, I can help you out with management, I can help you out with community relationships, and if you'd like, I, I can do some consulting advising to make sure that this is long-term successful for you and that you're well-positioned and in Webo, Montana. I mean, how do you navigate that? Because it's quite often, it might get thrown back in our face, stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I think it's important to, if if a buyer uh, asks for any kind of service like that, that we provided as far as introductions to whoever, whoever it may be in the community. and And if I can advise buyers at all i mean it's like get involved in the community be part of it and um even if you're here two weeks out of the year get involved as far as support of uh, any youth activity school activities anything you can provide if um, be part of it you know and, and introduce them to some key people and uh, And if they need management, if they need uh, any advice as far as who to talk to to lease their ground to, we make those contacts for them and say, here's a list of people that we know would be interested in working with you and taking care of this for you.
1: I know well, Jake, that you've, you know, worked with some people that, you know, you have a lot of pride in that they're, you know, I've even heard you say this before, this guy's going to be a great fit for this property. I mean, you know, that's what you do, but do you, are there some times where you go, man, I, I don't know about this guy. I, <laughs> I see this washing out in a year or two. I do. You, you know, I really haven't,
2: I haven't experienced that very much. Oh, I've been no, very good. fortunate uh, that, uh, that most of the people we work with have been very good and I, I've, I haven't seen much of that. That's
1: good. I had a client one time years ago, uh, very, you know, very wealthy outsider, all this kind of thing. Uh, but man, did he just love this property that he bought and the, the small community that he, and I remember thinking he's kind of the pinnacle of the ideal of what, you know, if you're going to have an out of state out of area, you know, wealthy guy come in. I mean, this guy was just as fired up as you could imagine to, to plug in and, 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 poor local community that he started uh, donating to right off the bat and just couldn't be more enthusiastic couldn't be a better uh, person to have come in
2: yeah i think the best advice we can give to some of these buyers is buy local you know
0: absolutely yeah and how about what advice are you giving your
2: sellers right now you know price it in the market as always um you know obviously we want to get top of the market but Let's let's establish a value where we think it can sell, or at least a range. You know, obviously we're gonna price everything at what we think is the top of the market, but as we as we get into a listing contract, we say, you know, you this is where we'd like to price it, and we think we'll get offers between this range and that price. And you know, be willing to look at offers and know that. If we've priced it at this extreme top of the market or what we think it is the extreme top of the market, we're prob- probably not going to get right there. But let's try to get to as close as we can and be willing to look at offers. And right now it's a seller's market. We don't know how long it would last. So if you get a great offer, let's be serious about looking at it and maybe accepting it.
1: You know, it's you know interesting. I'll be interested in your take on this, Jake. I actually feel in times like this, In some ways, I see—I don't want to say less price speculation—but it just seems, in a way, sellers are almost more realistic right now. Maybe just in the sense that they know that we're approaching, perhaps the top of the market. We're we're in a hot time of the market, and who knows how long it'll last? So there's a little more of a motivation. It almost seems like, when the market's quieter, sometimes sellers seem to have no problem, you know, being twice, three times. You know asking price, but there's a little more of a pressure maybe right now that they know if they're too crazy that they might miss some kind of a wave. So I'm actually seeing, it, ironically, even though we're in a seller's market, uh, sometimes it seems less uh,
2: unrealistic on the on the seller side. Well, for one thing, right now a seller is maybe selling for more than he ever dreamt he was going to be able to sell for. Sure. And if he's a student of history at all. He knows that this may not last. Right. Um, You know, I've seen it in the 80s and 90s when things took off in the early 90s. And then, you know, 2007, things kind of went in the tank again. And so, I mean, we've seen it go up and down. So if they want to take advantage of a great market, now's a great time to do it. And uh, maybe that's why they're more willing than ever is because they're selling for more than they ever thought they could.
1: Yeah, and there, there's not a ton of price reductions going on, but there certainly are some. And, uh, you know, obviously, and we've talked about this here before, you know, if you've got something on the market and you're not getting showings or offers now, you know, that that's, there. you know, but, and, and again, at a, at a quieter time, that doesn't seem to worry sellers. You know, I, I, I've had those conversations, you know, you've got, you've had this thing on the market for three years You've hardly gotten any offers, and boy, those sellers, well, that buyer's just around the corner. But today,
2: <clears throat> I think it's harder for them to say that, perhaps. A perfect example of that. I had a property that we have under contract now that uh, we started marketing five years ago. Hmm. Had had it for two years, went off the market for a while, came back on, and uh, never had an offer up until the day we had two offers. So, well,
1: and here's, you know, with the stats that we're starting to put out with Montana land source, you know, they're, they're all conforming to, you know, this fact that we have a seller's market and everything we've talked about, but one thing that's a little bit surprising and uh, confusing initially days on, I talked earlier about days on market for active listings, property that are properties that are still on the market, but for sales days on market are actually longer. years past and that is counter to what you think but you know what's going on i think a lot of properties that have been on the market forever are have been getting picked off i mean there's some you know there's properties in the in the database that have been on the market for 10 years Mm -hmm. that's not you know there's that's not there's not too few of those so now becoming an observation that's skewing your data yeah so days on market for sales is actually because a ton of inventory that's just been languishing Mm -hmm. is getting picked off in this market and it's actually on a median basis creating long uh, longer median days on market isn't that interesting
2: yeah it was priced out of the market originally yeah and now the market's come up and maybe you went by it
1: yep and picked they're 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 getting picked off
2: yeah
0: i'm sure you've told someone well that price won't work today but if you leave it on the market at that price for a good six or seven years it's <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna that, use.
1: The, that's I not, like that. That's not been one
0: of my lines. I'm, I'm gonna start using that.
1: <laughs>
0: so, have you, uh, have you also, with this time is of the essence, maybe that we all know, we all don't know, but we all suspect this this boat might be leaving the port. This this seller's market. Are your sellers also feeling a pinch for tax reform?
2: Yes. We're. We're seeing people reluctant to sell because they're afraid of what might change as far as the capital gains. I've got one listing that's going to come on the market, but it's here in the next week. But he says, I'm going to only sign a listing contract to December 15th because I'm afraid of tax change in the next year. Wow. In the capital gains. Wow. So if it doesn't sell this year, I got to take another hard look at it. it hmm to make sure that there's not going to be a capital gains change. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, there's, um, there's a lot of reasons for seller motivations right now. And it's, it's all positive for us, Jake. It's, I mean, a booming market and fears implications of, of tax reform, cap gains, estate taxes, um, doing away with 1031s, all of that is, is really beneficial to, uh, helping sellers move along and, so you know now is probably the time to sell if ever i agree
2: i don't think there's we've ever seen a seller's market like this and the other side of the coin is we've there could be as much change in the tax code as we've ever seen if if it happens And let's hope it don't because it'll it'll, it'll crush this industry it'll, it'll really you're right that's a good word to use yeah
0: it and uh, yeah, I've sure enjoyed having you on here again, Andy. It feels like we could go another hour here with Jake. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what else do you want to cover in our final minutes? Do you have any any thoughts of wisdom to share? Wh- why you came on the podcast and what you'd like the world to know?
2: Well, because Andy would let wouldn't let me not come on, so that's why <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm here. No, I, I just for sellers out there that are listening. If you today is opportunity time. Um, there's a lot of people in the market looking. Uh, we've got a readily supply of buyers. And uh, I think now is the time, if you're thinking about selling, um, let's get it done. Let's get it listed and get it sold.
1: Well, and one thing I'd like to throw out there, you guys at Premier, I would say, uh, given how small of an outfit you are, small of a house, you have an outs- outsized uh, impact on this market. You guys do an awful lot of big big stuff and a lot of volume for your size. Um you got you guys get it done. What's your
2: you know what do been, you attribute to that? It's pretty amazing that uh you know 30 years ago we hoped to do 15 to 20 million dollars in sales in a year if we mm-hmm. could and now we're doing numerous transactions that size or bigger throughout the year the way it seems and um it's just been hard work and Brian Anderson, you know, and yeah, he's the other broker owner in our office at Premier Land Company. And uh, he's as sharp a young broker as there is in this business, I think. And um, he's a Texan, but I don't hold it against him. And he, is, <laughs> he is my son-in-law as well. And uh, I mean, he's one of the great brokers in this business. And I think he's helped elevate the office to the status it is. And we've got some great salespeople and we now have an office in Bozeman, an office in Glendive, and a bunch of young guys that are getting after it. And hmm. they got work ethic and honesty, integrity, and character. And that's what it takes.
0: Well, we have a lot of Texas, Texas listeners, Jake. And, and we have even more now. I was at the Realtor Land Institute's uh, accredited land consultant uh, courses to get my ALC accreditation designation. And just really enjoyed my time with with all the texans and the shout out to all all of our texas listeners and andy any final thoughts as as we finish this one up and take
1: two weeks to release it and the market just continues to change yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where the market is in two weeks that's funny you bring that up because i've had that concern before we're going to record something and it's going to look yeah look but uh, so far that hasn't happened nah, just an incredible time in the market uh fun a little bit uh stressful at times to watch and and ride but that's what we do yep well if anyone uh would like to hear more from uh
0: jake jacobs with premier land company and his son-in-law brian anderson who is a go-getter and uh Former baseball player. He he's just fun to be around. He's a lively guy. Yeah, he is. Feel free to reach out to them directly. They do answer their, their phones unless um, they're on a plane to a auction. Yeah, <laughs> uh, their direct lines are on their website. Very nice new website. Um, I like the rebranding. Uh, you guys have done a very good job with that site and your your media is excellent. The photographs mm-hmm. you're taking and the brochures. So for a buyer, your brochures
2: are very helpful. Well, thank you. And uh, they're going to get better. We've got a, a full production crew that's working with us now doing our videos. And uh, we've got some incredible properties coming up that you'll be surprised about.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing them hit Andy's website, Montana Land Source. And thank you for tuning in to the Ranch Investor podcast, sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. We were just talking about it. it's all experience-driven anymore. That's right. Millennials, hunters, fishermen. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access, activities, and you set the rules as the landowner. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Ranch Investor listeners who go to landtrust.com forward slash ranchinvestor are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000. Thanks for coming in, Jake appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Jake. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here.
0: Thank you for joining us today on ranchinvestor.com podcast. We have a few things of note, uh, some housekeeping to take care of. Coulter Debris is a licensed real estate broker in Montana and Wyoming. Andy Ron is a Montana certified general appraiser and accredited through the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. Denver Gilbert is a licensed real estate broker in four states. I say this because there are still 12 states that are non-disclosure meaning we do not have the privilege of releasing private and confidential information from certain land markets. We have fiduciary and agency relationships that we take very seriously and would not seek to compromise these duties. In this podcast, we do not report information pertaining to specific clients or market participants unless it is public knowledge. Our reporting is not to be misconstrued as legal or financial advice, even though we may have opinions as to what one ought to do when it comes to ranch and land investing. Advice is only worth what you pay for it, and you are receiving this for free. So if you would like further information, please reach out to any of the hosts or guests on your own accord. We enjoy hearing your feedback, so please post any questions or comments to our Ranch Investor private group on Facebook. If you do not have Facebook, please send to comments at ranchinvestor.com. And thank you for listening.